You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Perhaps the greatest promise of a plant-based diet, in my view, is that it can help us evolve. A plant-based diet gives all of us an opportunity to be transformative agents in the task of creating a more perfect world. This isn't hyperbole. If our intentions are to have peace, happiness, kindness, and abundance, we have to put those intentions into action. Beyond wanting peace, we have to sow the seeds of peace. There are only so many ways to do this, and each one is of great consequence. It's really amazing when you think about it. Each time we eat, we are given an opportunity to make the world kinder and to reduce the harm we cause and to benefit our own health and vitality as we do so. Our food choices affect others like virtually nothing else we do, rippling outward and multiplying their impact day by day, year by year, meal by meal. Every time we choose what to eat, We vote in the most important and most democratic election on the planet. And after every breakfast we cook and each lunch we order, the results are calculated and the world is inched in one direction or the other. As we've seen, every plant-based meal helps heal this sad situation of animal cruelty and environmental degradation. Every time we eat, we affect what foods our supermarkets carry, what our neighbors eat, and what future generations will eat. Each food choice ripples out into the world and into the future in ways that few, if any other, daily decisions do. Eating is the paradigmatic social act, breaking bread the most elementary gesture of hospitality. One thing you can be sure of is that even if you are the first among your family or friends to lean toward veganism, you won't be the last. You will influence others. Even if you don't talk about it, you'll find that people will come to you with questions. You will be part of helping society reach a higher level of consciousness. A plant-based diet is the promise that keeps on giving. Kathy Freston is the author of The One, Discovering the Secrets of Soulmate Love, Expect a Miracle, Seven Spiritual Steps to Finding the Right Relationship, Quantum Wellness, A Practical and Spiritual Guide to Health and Happiness, The Quantum Wellness Cleansed, A 21-Day Essential Guide to Healing Your Body, Mind, and Spirit, Veganist, How to Lose Weight, Get Healthy, and Change the World. Her new book is The Lean, a revolutionary and simple 30-day plan for lasting weight loss. Thank you for joining me, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me, Rick. Kathy, your approach in all of these books is remarkably consistent, and I really think it's important to start out with that. You have this idea in the lean of leaning in to change. So I'd like you to talk about this kind of incremental approach. Well, here's the thing. I think we are, as human beings, always evolving. And that's sort of the goal, is to evolve both as individuals and as a culture. And, uh, you know, that calls on us to realize where we can do better, push ourselves forward in ways that are practical and doable and that benefit us as human beings and as a society. Um, my first two books were about relationships and it was all about sort of pushing yourself to realize where you are responsible, um, to make the relationship more conscious and conscientious, more, um, self realizing so that you become a stronger, better, kinder person by being in the relationship. And as I was writing that, I got more and more interested in how to become conscious in sort of all respects across the board. And one of the things that I realized I didn't have a lot of consciousness about was food. And so I thought, you know, Kathy, you're such a hypocrite if you don't investigate where your food comes from so you have an awareness of the truth of what goes on. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to look at how food arrives at my plate. 
And being a girl from the South, I loved fried chicken and barbecued ribs and, you know, every kind of cheesy thing that was uh, possible to to get. And so I started looking at how those foods in particular got to me. And it was pretty upsetting. It was pretty um, unnerving and um, really sort of smacked me in the face and in, in such a way that I thought, wow, I have to eat differently. But to eat differently, if, you know, I'm, again, a girl from Georgia, I, I thought, I, I don't even know the first thing about how to get animal foods out of my diet. I love this stuff. I love burgers and steak and turkey and all of that stuff. But I'm just going to take the awareness and I'm going to let it sort of edify and motivate me and I'm going to push myself forward just a little bit in ways that aren't too threatening to my daily routine and in my comfort zone but I'm going to push myself a little bit and I'm going to lean into a shift and I found that that worked for me that leaning in worked for me because it wasn't abrupt it wasn't agonizing it wasn't uh, that it was so unfamiliar that I just didn't enjoy my life anymore. And I just tweaked my diet in little ways. And, you know, one, one night instead of having chicken burritos, for instance, I would have black bean burritos. Um, uh, you know, I had pizza night in my house. Instead of having the regular pizza with pepperoni and cheese, I made it with mushrooms and um, a soy cheese or a tapioca cheese. So I made my old familiar things little by little um, with plant-based stuff. So I certainly wasn't all of a sudden this virtuous uh, eater, but I was aware and I was leaning forward. And that's why I wrote The Lean and it's sort of become my philosophy of just leaning forward to take the awareness first, let it sink in, do some investigating, and then comfortably, easily move forward. I really like uh, this kind of incremental approach, and I think that it works hand-in-hand hand with this vision of what you call quantum wellness in your quantum wellness book, which I, a book I really enjoyed. And this leads us to uh, what we now call integrated health therapy, mm -hmm. where when we're trying to improve one aspect of our lives, that's really not what we need to do. We need to think about all of our the parts of our lives. And the first thing that struck me in the quantum wellness is that we used to think of wellness as an absence. We don't have this. We don't have that. But you point out that wellness is, is a presence. Yeah, wellness, you know, you could be perfectly healthy. And if you are not happy or stressed out or feeling uh, alienated, from the community, you're not well. If you are well in your body and you have friends, but you don't feel connected to something larger, and I don't mean God per se or anything like that, although that could be for you your truth. I mean just something that this, it's larger than yourself, whether it's the, the, the whole world or the community or some greater purpose. You don't feel really well. You're not, um, you're not full force, full throttle living your life. And so, as you were saying, we are holistic human beings, you know, we are, we have lots of parts to us, lots of pieces of this puzzle that makes up our life. And I think that, you know, the, um, the Buddhists call it, you know, having a, um, a precious human body. So I feel like we've, we have this opportunity, this lifetime to just learn and grow and, you know, do some investigation into our psyche and push ourselves so that we become holistically well. We become physically, we're, you know, taking care of our bodies, we're taking care of our families, we're looking after the planet, we're, we're growing emotionally, um, and fine-tuning, um, you know, consciousness, life. That's sort of, for me, what it's all about. It's very exciting, actually. I like that 
phrase you use, fine-tuning, because I think that's a great description of everything in, in these books in that we're just tweaking each part of our lives a little bit at a time in a way that we're very comfortable with so that you describe a course for change that makes change comfortable mm -hmm. and not upsetting and uh, creates a course for change so that by the time we arrive at our destination, we're comfortable there and we're not going to just snap back to where we were before. And that's a real issue, you know, that recidivism, the recidivism. People um, get very excited about making changes. They start meditating for an hour a day. You know, they give up eating animal foods. They, you know, do this big exercise routine. And frankly, that doesn't stick. Um, meditating for an hour at a time is really hard to do, <laughs> yeah, you know, if you've never right. meditated before. So I would definitely not suggest going into that. I would definitely not suggest just giving up animal foods all at once because you'll feel frustrated. You'll feel out of the loop. You'll end up being hungry and, you know, probably eating unhealthy foods. Um, I would suggest leaning into an exercise routine because if you just go full throttle right away, you're going to injure yourself. You've got to educate yourself first. So kind of across the board, making that decision that you want to learn and grow and finding the area where you feel needs a little tweaking. You know, tweak is a wonderful word. It's just like going in there and saying, how can I make this a little bit better? What, what can I do, you know, and how's that going to make me happier and how's that going to ripple out and make life a little bit better? So the goal is always to go deeper, higher, wider, you know, to, to really seek out the, the good, the true, and the beautiful. And wherever you're not pursuing that, wherever you're not acting in that way, you tweak it a little bit. You know, it's a lifelong process, and it's kind of it's kind of cool. This uh, process of tweaking uh, begins, I think, with a, a, an understanding of what you call the eight pillars of quantum wellness, or uh, in integrative health therapy. I mean, that I think is the same thing to integrate mind, body, and spirit because they're all connected. So I'd like you to talk about one and two, meditation and visualization. Mm -hmm. Meditation is really just about being mindful and being still. So there's lots of different kinds of meditation. There's Zen meditation where you sit up straight on a pillow for a given amount of time and you know just sort of muscle through that discomfort and let it take you to a new level. There's, um, there's breathing meditation. There's uh, guided meditation. So for me, it's just uh, an opportunity to get still and go within because we all have this mind that just, you know, has a to-do list and we're obsessive and we're, you know, trying to figure things out and have control over it. And I don't know about you, but if, if I'm sort of still and I'm pulled back and away from all of that stuff, that's when the, the good ideas come. That's when my groundedness takes root that's when I know, I emerge sort of knowing what to do. I know how to be. So meditation is, you know, for me, it's, it's um, an opportunity to just get into my own power. But when I say my own power, I'm, it, it's, kind of, um, it's kind of an oxymoron because my own power comes from stepping away from trying to control things. So I end up I step away and I sort of let let the moment flow through me and and then it it turns around that I, I I'm more empowered. I, I think more clearly, I make better decisions, I have more energy. Um, I do a lot of guided meditations actually. So I I um, you know, do a loving kindness meditation which is a Buddhist practice and kind of trains me to, to think in ways that are, are more generous than, than my little ego would, would naturally do. So, you know, visualization is a little bit um, different in that you visualize, not like in a magical thinking sort of a way, but you visualize how you'd like your life to look so that you can get comfortable with how that feels. 
Um, I know myself, I grew up very insecure and didn't have a lot of self-esteem. So it was very hard for me to even imagine having success or having love in my life or, um, you know, any kind of abundance monetarily. So it took my imagination to see like, okay, this is what it would feel like if I had a house that was comfortable and if I had someone in my life that I loved and returned that love. And so I did it enough, I did this visualization enough that um, it felt good and right when the opportunities came up so that I didn't sabotage them. So it wasn't magical thinking like, you know, in some, I, I know some books, they talk about just, you know, visualizing a red Corvette or something. That's not visualization to me at all. Visualization is just a way of familiarizing yourself with your next step so that you're ready and you don't sabotage it when it happens. That's it, interesting. When we're talking about meditation, I was thinking it's kind of like warming up a car in idle. You, you have this big engine going under the hood not really aware of what's under the hood, but you just warm it up and get an idling. Mm. And then with visualization, you like, okay, that's kind of where I want to drive this car. I like that. I like that, you know? And I also think of it sort of like a train set. Like if the mm -hmm. train set goes round and around, you know, the tracks are laid and, and the, it's like our mind has these grooves that are just deepened by years of obsessive thinking or acting in a certain way because we don't know any other way. So if you want to add new terrain to your life and have new experiences, you sort of have to lay some new track. And this is a way of doing that. You do it in your mind first. And then, then you sort of roll that out and lean into it in a more real and, and practical way. And that's how visualization sort of uh, supports uh, a newer, fresher uh, outlook. You also emphasize something that I think is great to emphasize, fun activities. Mm -hmm. I like having fun. I think <laughs> yeah. most of us do. Yeah. It's funny because it's the thing that most of us don't do enough of because, uh -huh. I mean, damn, it's it takes a lot to keep up and pay the bills, you know, <laughs> and it takes a lot to be healthy and take care of our bodies and, you know, we... Uh, we have families to take care of and responsibilities and so we get bogged down with that stuff and we forget to have fun and life is just, it's not all about having fun. I mean, there's more to life than just, you know, uh, whooping it up for sure, um, but it's really important. It just lets loose our creativity and our, you know, connectedness with the world around us and people and it's just fun, you know. I think that's the thing that I have the hardest time with is making sure I have fun. I was thinking about it yesterday. I thought, if I were to die today, what is it that I didn't do enough of that I wanted, I should have done more of? And I thought, I should have danced more. <laughs> I, should have, I should have just danced, you know, even if I couldn't find any place to go dancing or anybody to dance with, I should have just blared my music and, and had a great time because it makes me happy. And... We have to ask ourselves that, like, what, what is it that makes us happy? What is it that we can do today without a whole lot of resources that just makes us feel great? And we got to do that. we got to have fun. Life is short. Well, I don't know about you, but for me, one of the things I love to do is cook and eat. Mm. And <laughs> you have some great recipes in these books, and I think that's, that's really helpful because there are, like, actually fixable recipes that move us towards a more responsible form of eating. But you talk, too, about the uh, importance of a conscientious and conscious eating to think about what you eat and why. Yeah, you know, um, we are evolving human beings, and if we're not looking at how things get to us, then we're just sort of asleep. And I think Martin Luther King said one of the greatest um, downfalls of, well, I can't, think of it exactly but of the human being is to stay asleep during a great social change and to me I want to be part of a positive shift I, I don't want to be asleep I don't want to 
you know, be on the fence. I want to be, I want to be making those differences in my own life and I want to feel like I'm part of a solution. So if you're going to be part of a solution, if you're going to be a game changer, awareness has to come first, you know, and, um, just food is something that we all do three times a day and we can either do it awake or we can do it asleep. We can eat with awareness and consciousness and, um, vote with what we purchase and prepare for our, for ourselves and our family, or we can stay asleep. And I, I just think it's a very exciting time to be awake and aware. You also talk about the importance of exercise, and I, I really like your approach to exercise. That that to just start small because mm -hmm. that's something. It, if you just take ten minutes a day, and pretty much anybody can, and just do you know some touch your toes a few times, and maybe find some small weights to lift, that can make a big difference over the long haul. It just gets you moving, you know. I, I remember when I, I pretty much grew up as a couch potato, <laughs> not very sportive or anything. And I um, looked around me and I saw all these fit people. And I was like, damn, how am I going to, I'm never going to get fit. I'm not strong. I don't have the energy for this. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to walk around the block, you know. And I had a dog at the time. Well, I have a dog now, but a different dog. And I... I, um, I just started walking around the block. My dog was really happy. And, you know, I... <laughs> That's I, what I did, too. I started taking my dogs for a yeah, walk. That's a good way to start. Yeah, yeah. They, well, the research shows that people who have dogs and walk their dogs are, are a lot healthier and uh, slimmer and lower body mass index and all of that. And so I just started doing that, you know, and one block became two and two blocks became a mile. And then, you know, I started hiking in the hills and, and then I started working some weights in and doing a little bit of yoga. And it was that philosophy again of leaning into it that really worked for me because I thought I just know myself, anything that's too hard or too disruptive, I'm not going to keep up with it. And I wanted to keep getting better. So I thought, don't overwhelm myself, you know, don't make it too much, little by little. The last three pillars kind of lead naturally from one to the other. You talk about self-work, spiritual practice, and then service. Mm -hmm. And I think these are um, uh, indicative of a journey that starts, you have to find the core of yourself and then start moving outward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you don't understand yourself, how can you possibly understand anyone else? You know, I'm, I'm kind of a food activist now. And I think what has helped me in this evolution in my career is that I, uh, you know, I'm not dogmatic in my approach and I am not judgmental because I know myself really well. And I, I only know myself because I, I've made a practice of understanding, you know, where I get stopped, what my internal obstacles are, and really trying to um, push myself forward. So I know it works with me, and I think I can apply that in my work. And uh, self-work, it's, it's, you got to Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. So um, how can we grow and evolve if we don't know who we are? If I don't know that I'm angry, how can I stop being angry or, or deal with that anger? If I don't know that I'm sad, if I'm like saying everything's fine, everything's fine, how can I heal whatever wound is inside of me? I need to know myself. And as I know myself, compassion comes out of that and empathy comes out of that. And then I'm better able to connect with people so I have a richer life experience so that um, and that leads into um, spiritual practice when I say spiritual practice I don't necessarily mean you know again God or religion although um, that might be applicable for some people I just mean for me spiritual principles are um, values like kindness mercy alleviating of suffering compassion compassion so my practice is trying to activate that in myself. How can I be a change agent for cruelty? How can I alleviate suffering in my world? 
how and you know my personal world how can I become a kinder person and that's what led me to um, being an activist in the food world because this is an opportunity that is so personal that I can actually say no I'm not going to order something to eat that on down the line before it got to me caused cruelty and suffering that I can do. I may not be able to do something about Ebola in Africa. I would like to, but it's beyond me and I can't really do anything. But I can be a kinder person in the way that I eat and shop and feed my family. That I can do. And that's a spiritual practice for me. And this leads to um, service, mm -hmm. which is once you have begun viewing yourself as connected to the world, the next step is to take yourself out there and to try to do something good in the world. Mm. And it's not that hard. No, it can be uh, literally just shopping differently. You know, it can be, you know, my neighbor is at work all day and I hear his dog barking. He's outside. So I, I can go walk his dog for him. So the dog is happy and that makes me feel so good. You know, it releases this rush of endorphins. This, this, these feel-good uh, chemicals going through my body. And that, so selfishly, doing something good, doing something that's service, it feels good to me. I'm a happier person. And it's helped someone, whether it's a dog or uh, a cow on a slaughter line, because I'm, you know, in my own little way, I'm decreasing that market share. I'm saying no to that kind of suffering. And, you know, I mean, look, my career ended up going in the direction where I was writing books about this stuff. So that little bit of awareness and my little tweaks in my personal life got me so fired up and excited that I ended up writing a book about it. And then, you know, lots of people read the book and some people got it and, and they ended up rippling out in their ways. And so that's how the world changes, you know, little by little, making personal choices and then some sort of passion just gets a hold of you. I really do think that it chooses you, you know, whatever your, your life mission is or your purpose, it chooses you and it just lights you up. And um, you feel like you're on this, on this planet for a reason. And, and, and that, makes, that makes the world a great place to be in, you know? Well, you were, were talking about food and food ethics. I think we're really in the midst of... Uh, much slower than we might un comprehend it to be vision of how we approach our food and, and that maybe a hundred years from now that things will be so much more different with that we can't even really comprehend it and, and one of the things that interests me is your vision of being conscious of where the food comes from and the effects that that has uh, I think that's really important well, you know, you talk about in a hundred years, and boy, I, I hope a shift happens. You know, it's already happening. I mean, people mm -hmm. are definitely I, thinking differently. And well, there's a lot more consciousness about food. I think with, uh, I think of Michael Pollan's, you know, what what to eat, and I think his his description is so elegant: eat food, not too much mostly plants. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's... Uh, Simple that's as can be. And Mark Bittman, the same thing is, you know, eat plants before dinner. And then if you want some animal food, you know, do it after six as vegan before six is a, is a wonderful approach. And uh, there's so many athletes who are eating for endurance. They're eating plant-based because they feel stronger. They feel less bogged down. They recover more quickly. There's a lot of celebrities um, you know, Jessica Chastain is so beautiful and she's vegan and, um, Toby McGuire and Ellen DeGeneres and Portia de Rossi. These are, these people want to look great. You know, they want to glow, um, for the long haul. And so they've started eating this way. So yeah, things are really changing, but I look at what's happening in our environment, you know, with climate change and, soil degradation and deforestation and so much of this points back to animal agriculture so it's if, a remarkably inefficient way to get your food it really is calorie for calorie we would do so much better by by consuming those calories from plants ourselves you know we would instead of cycling them through animals which you know a lot of those calories just go toward breathing and creating blood and 
you know, uh, they're not muscle that you can eat necessarily. So, you know, it's, it's 10, sometimes 20 times more calories um, wasted. So if we ate the, the, the plants directly rather than feeding them to animals, we could, oh my gosh, we could just wipe out world hunger because we'd have so much more food. But this is something that's, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there that, you know, you, you need animal protein to be strong and, you know, where's the beef and there's this whole paleo craze out there. So there's a lot of... There's a lot of conflicting information, and it's confusing for people, you know, with all the blogs and podcasts and newspapers, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a different kind of journalism these days, and it can be confusing. So um, that's why I think it's, it's, it's not just health that we have to be aware of or the environment, but it's also an awareness of cruelty, you know, because there's just no way you can talk around that. You know, an animal does not want to be killed. They do not want to be cramped into a small cage or um, a tiny little barn with many, many hundreds of thousands of other animals um, to reach slaughter. You know, they just don't. So when we take into consideration the environment and, you know, what these huge cesspools of manure are doing to the water table and um, how we're clearing forests for grazing cattle and growing soybeans to feed cattle and chickens and you know there's just everything points back to boy it would be healthier if more people ate just plants. One of the things you talk about is making uh, the shift to vegetarianism and then to vegetarianism to, to veganism and again this approach you take is you call it the lean in just doing a little bit and I think your menus are really helpful in that matter you're talking about have substituting a black bean burrito mm-hmm. for a chicken burrito that's something most people can handle and I think that the incremental approach fading one thing in and fading another thing out is something that people can deal with Absolutely. It's called crowding out in nutritional circles. So you're literally displacing an animal food with a plant-based one. And up until about, I would say, five, ten years ago, that was really hard to do. There was not a whole lot of, um, uh, there were not a whole lot of options out there. Certainly restaurants didn't carry things. That's changing now in a big way. The um, alternative meat um, products market is, I think it's over a half a billion dollars now in the United States alone. And so there's these wonderful uh, products like Gardein and Beyond Meat and Field Roast Sausage and Daya Cheese and Silk Milks and all that stuff that look and taste like the things that we grew up loving. Milk and cheese and chicken and beef and pulled pork, all that stuff now you can get a plant-based version of them. And um, they're delicious. Uh, a lot of people, you know, I call them food snobs, <laughs> are against these transitional foods like a, like a plant-based chicken. And they say, oh, that's not a real food. Well, right. It's not ideal. Rice and beans and vegetables, you know, that's an ideal meal. But, you know, when I was making this shift, you couldn't get me to have a bowl of rice and beans and kale. I needed something hearty. I needed something that looked like the stuff that I grew up with. So that chicken was great, and it's still great. I, I When I entertain people who are you know, omnivores, they think they're getting chicken parmesan. They don't realize that it's a plant-based chicken with plant-based cheese. So um, it may not be the ultimate in health, but it's a darn good transitional option that really works well when you're trying to lean forward. It doesn't have saturated fat, uh, cholesterol, uh, and no cruelty went into it, and it doesn't harm the environment. So it's pretty darn good. Eating, too, is really important in terms of getting nutrition so that your body and your health work. I think that's one of the things that it's really critical the best cure that you can have for any disease, any sickness, is a good diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you look at Colin Cam- T. Colin Campbell's work in uh, Cornell and um, 
uh, Caldwell Esselstyn's work with the Cleveland Clinic, and they are turning around cancer and heart disease and diabetes. John McDougall, Dr. Neil Barnard, they're turning around diabetes, all kinds of diseases with diet alone. So within a week of cutting out animal foods and replacing them with plant-based foods, your, your weight begins to drop. Within the second week, your blood sugar and cholesterol begin to drop. And within the third week, you really see significant changes so that you can get off medications. I mean, really, within three weeks, if someone's committed to a healthy plant-based diet, uh, you can be medication-free in a lot of situations. Of course, I don't advise doing this without the advice of your doctor, but it's a really exciting approach. You know, it's not, um, not to say that chemo and radiation don't work, it, but to do this in conjunction with conventional ways of dealing with chronic disease or, or uh, you know, a serious disease, an interventional program like this, in addition to the conventional treatment, is is it just gets a lot better results. Now, one of the things I like about your books is uh, they have a lot of recipes in them. Mm. So I'd like you to talk about just writing recipes and coming up with them and putting them in your books. Well, here's the thing. I am a terrible cook, <laughs> and um, one of my dear friends, Tal Ronan, is is the best vegan chef I've ever come across. And he's, um, he, so he wrote the recipes for two of my books, Quantum Wellness and the Quantum Wellness Cleanse. And he's just brilliant. He cooked for Oprah and he did um, Ellen and Portia's wedding and he's cooked at the Democratic National Convention. And he's just, he's unbelievable. So he wrote the recipes for a couple of books. And I'm working with a chef that I haven't worked with before named Robin Robertson who's just one of my favorites because her recipes are super simple and practical and inexpensive. So anybody, including myself, can do it. And um, But one of my favorite things that Tall taught me was to make cashew cream. Do you know what that is? No. <sighs> I know it's in uh, the, the lean. It's, yes. It's, what day is it? I have to look. It's uh, day 17. Day 17. And it's also, uh, so, and Tall taught me to make it back in the quantum wellness cleanse, I believe. So all you do is you take um, some cashews, depending on how much you want to make, and just take a few handfuls of cashews and soak them in water overnight, raw cashews unsalted. And then in the morning, you, you pour off the water, and then you put the cashews in a high-speed blender. I use a Vitamix, and uh, add some new water. And, and then if you want to make it like a creamy dessert, you put in some maple syrup and a little bit of vanilla extract, and you blend it up, and you have a cream sauce that is to die for, to die for. So I use that, uh, or I make a creamy Alfredo sauce or cream-based soup, and, and instead of putting in something sweet, I, I use a veggie broth and sautéed garlic and onions, and I blend that up in my Vitamix, and you've got a great a base for you know cream of broccoli soup or um, an Alfredo sauce for pasta. So stuff like that, like we didn't even know about that growing up. I'd never heard that you could make cream sauce out of cashews. I didn't think yeah. it was. It's really it's interesting. It's so good. And there's zero cholesterol, um, which is so different than regular cream sauce, obviously. Um, but it's delicious. It's just delicious. So I am a very simple eater where, where Tal's Tal recipes are, you know, it's that they're for people who really want to just get creative in the kitchen. Um, I tend to eat really simply. I saute up some vegetables. I throw in some raw garlic, a little salt, some olive oil. I make up some quinoa or some brown rice and uh, either some grilled tempeh or some tofu or maybe some black beans. And I, I'm a super simple eater, but I, I'm, again, I'm leaning into the into the kitchen stuff more and more too. I'm learning more recipes. I think too, no, no matter how much you cook and how much you cook for yourself, mm -hmm. I find that really uh, supplements are, are helpful. And you talk mm -hmm. about supplements in both your books. Uh, 
So we definitely want to look for food-based uh, supplements, right? Yeah, you know, you want to stay away from synthetics as much as possible. The body recognizes food, and the body does well with food. Um, so I, I always say to people who are eating a plant-based diet, make sure you're taking a multivitamin at least because you want to get that B12. And, um, you know, the soil is different than it was 100 years ago. It's really... Uh, compromised. And plus, we live in a very sterile environment. And B12, when the theory goes, is that B12 uh, comes from bacteria, because animals eat sort of dirt along with their food. And then there's this bacteria that forms in their intestines. So if you're eating meat, you're getting that B12, um, because it's made out of that bacteria. So the tendency of kids to eat dirt is natural. <laughs> yeah, let them eat dirt. No, you didn't hear me say that. No, just take your take your vitamin with the B12. That's a lot simpler that way. But um, yeah, you want to keep it, keep it simple, keep it pure, and food-based is wonderful. And vitamin D, I think, is an important one to take because even though we can get it from the sun somewhat, our you know ancestors spent a majority of their time running across the plains of the savannah chasing animals and that got them a lot more vitamin d and, and that's not really practical in our mm. society especially since we've moved true to places that it's not sunny <laughs> true that yes exactly exactly vitamin d is one of those miracle supplements now you talk about superfoods and you call out one of my favorite superfoods i have to admit is kale mm. so um talk about uh this putting a superfood into your diet in the lean, um, mm. some kale or anything else that looks good. I, I'm going to tell you one of my favorite things that I have uh, every day. As soon as you, as soon as we're done here, I'll make one myself. Um, I make a smoothie with some coconut water and a little bit of protein powder. I love um, a little protein powder just because I work out pretty hard. But I put in some peanut butter, some ground flax seeds, and then I put in almost two handfuls of frozen kale. Because I'm not always able to cook up kale in the kitchen, so I just put it in my smoothie, and it mixes in with the peanut butter, and I can't even taste it. And I've had two big servings of vegetables. So that's two out of my five servings that you know I try to get every day of vegetables. And... I didn't even have to break out the skillet for it. I, well, my smoothie is I use half an apple, half an orange, uh, two rings of pineapple, a uh, banana, generally frozen, a half a cup of water, two cups of finely chopped fresh kale. So it's pretty compact. It's about that much kale in the mm. Vitamix. Then a cup of spinach. Put some uh, ice on top of it and... and the citrus works really well as tangy makes this kale mm. taste really good. God, that sounds really good. Yeah, that's what that's my breakfast, and that pretty much takes me through to lunch. Yeah, <laughs> that's and you know you eat that way with these smoothies, and you feel like it goes right into your cells. I mean, I, I I'm probably just imagining it, but I feel like I get color in my skin and a zip in my step. I just feel like it's this food that goes that you know. It's just sort of naturally provided for us and uh, rich with all these colors and phytonutrients. And, you know, that's what Colin Campbell talks about in his new book. Um, he talks about how you have these foods. We don't even know what, what's in there and how they work synergistically together, but they work in such a way that is, you know, preventing disease and... Uh, energizing and the more we can eat whole food plant-based things we the more we thrive and I think too you want to take this hand in hand and move yourself towards a better diet you also makes it I think easier for reasons that are difficult to understand or are really explain to look into yourself to look at what you're doing and look at the effects and to work on the spiritual component of wellness as, as well, well well you bring up something very interesting and i i agree with you um a lot of people start eating healthier more plant-based because they know it's better for their body and they you know are really kind of uninterested in the um compassion part of it 
But I think what happens is once you start looking at how your food is made on a health end, it, it becomes easier to look at sort of the videos of how the animals are slaughtered because you're no longer participating in that. So it's not something that you have to shut down to. So health is a good doorway. And then the emotional slash spiritual awareness tends to come after that. So it's kind of a, um, a, a, a double whammy. Uh, at the end of quantum wellness, you talk about be the change. And I, I like that idea so that, you know, all of all these aspects of your life, you can kind of inch them forward, or, you know, one different one a day. And that also fits into the lean which I think is a really nice 30-day format. I like that 30-day format. Oh, thank you. I like a schedule. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually I, a, a whole one yeah, day. As yeah. the, you give us a whole day of schedules. Exactly. I like to map it out. I like to see what I'm doing. I like a checklist. Checklists work really well for me. And so the lean, I designed it so that on day one, it's just super simple. You know, uh, you just do one thing and you don't have to worry about, you know, oh my gosh, do I have all the groceries for this? What am I allowed to eat? What am I not allowed to eat? It's, it's just, you know, every day you add something in. So maybe you start off um, eating an apple. And of course, everyone can add in eating an apple a day. You're not cutting anything out. You're just adding in an apple. And then the next day you're eating an apple and you're making sure you drink eight glasses of water a day. Not a problem. Cheap. Doesn't cost me anything. I can do that. Everyone can drink eight glasses, you know, just throughout the day, you know, a glass here, a glass there, a glass before you go to sleep, glass when you wake up and, and, um, oh, and then one day I'm going to add in two tablespoons of ground flax seeds. So I'm going to do the apple and the water and now I'm going to add in the flax seeds. So every day builds on the day before. So it's really gradual and easy and I have a checklist and then by the end of 30 days you have 30 new practices that you've gradually incorporated into your life in such a way that it's comfortable and that it makes sense that wasn't overwhelming and um, and by 30 days you you've begun to see some weight loss you've begun to see your cholesterol drop and you've you've begun to feel a um, um, a greater sense of energy and vitality. But beyond that, you have a big, bigger awareness because part of the lean is to um, just watch a video, watch a video of where your food comes from. And so that's going to deepen your uh, sense of awareness and responsibility. And that's going to make you feel good too. One of the things I think that's uh, important in, in your work is the idea of the cleanse and i think that's essentially the overall thrust of the of the lean and much of your work is to just cleanse us and i'd like you to just talk a little bit about fasting well i'm not a fan of fasting per se i think fasting through the ages was a spiritual practice and a, and a health practice at times um to say i'm not attached to food or material things and that I want to put my mind and my energy on something um, greater than food and and I think that's wonderful but in terms of weight loss which is what most people frankly do fast for um, it slows down your metabolism and you know the body is made to have fiber and fiber, you know, pushes waste through the system. So I think it's kind of important that you do eat food with fiber, but that you eat the right foods. So my 21 day cleanse just is, um, steering clear of sugar, alcohol, caffeine, gluten, animal foods. And I think that's it. Is that five? So, so then you're eating, there's a lot of stuff you can eat when you're giving up all those things. There, you're, you can still have grains and beans and lentils and fruits and vegetables and all that kind of stuff. But you've moved away from the sweets you might have gotten addicted to, the alcohol that's just become a little too familiar. So you're giving your liver a rest. 
your brain is is relearning how to make those feel-good chemicals those neurotransmitters on on its own rather than depending on the alcohol um, your body is starting to run better because you're not dosing it with all that sugar and all those refined carbohydrates that go in breads um, you're eating whole unrefined carbohydrates which is so good for the brain and, and all your organs so to me, a cleanse is just moving away from the things that can be harmful so that your body can get back to doing what it does best. But I, I'm not a big fan of, of um, juice cleanses. When you are creating these books, and you've done, one of the things I really like about your writing is that you, you're very concise, but you cover a broad spectrum. So that quantum wellness covers a lot of bases, but it covers them in a concise way. Talk about just uh, how your health practices translate to your writing work. Well, I, uh, I, I don't want to sit down and read a huge book with so much information that it's going to overwhelm me. I want to know the bottom line, and I want to know what backs it up scientifically. So that's how I write my books, because it's something that would work for me. Um, I, I imagine people are busy. I'm really busy. And I, I just need to know that something is grounded in science and that I can trust it. And so that's kind of how I, I, um, I present the information. I'm not a doctor or nutritionist. And so I rely on the studies, the peer-reviewed research of those nutritional scientists that are doing the great work. And the important thing is, because there's a lot of junk science out there, too, and it can sound uh, very convincing. <laughs> well, studies show. And it's like, really, what studies and who are they funded by? You want to make sure that it's not an industry-funded study and that it's published in a really respectable uh, journal, like Nature or the, you know... Um, you know, cell or, or that is the nurse's study that, you know, of tens of thousands of people, you want to make sure that the information is not just sort of haphazardly um, thrown into some hyperbole. So that's how I write my books. It works for, it would work for me. So I figured there, there are some people out there that it would work for also. I'll say that's certainly true. I've been speaking with Kathy Preston. Her new book is The Lean, a revolutionary and a simple 30-day plan for healthy, lasting weight loss. Thank you for joining me, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.